to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 3, as we follow along with today's lesson. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. But he could not because of the crowd and because he was little of stature. So already you can get the picture. Here's a little Jew hated by his neighbors, collecting taxes for Rome, but filled with curiosity. Heard about Jesus wanted to see him. And so we read that he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was to pass that way. He saw that Jesus is going down this road. He ran ahead of the crowd, climbed up in a sycamore tree. Uh, Not a very dignified thing for sure, but he was so curious he just wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And so he made haste and he came down and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, that is, the scribes and the Pharisees, and probably a lot of just the local people, that he had gone to be the guest of a man that is a sinner, a crook, a thief. And they murmured, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I don't know if Jesus said this with sort of a smile, if he was making reference to the fact that uh, Jews are usually pretty uh, sharp uh, with money matters, and they're not apt to give much. And when this little Jew said, 
I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And I've taken, if I've taken from any, any man by false accusation, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Jesus said, you can be sure salvation's come to this house because he's the son of Abraham. <laughs> but then Jesus uttered these words, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we note that in a way this is almost an apology. This is in response to the fact that they were murmuring because he had gone to be the guest of a sinner. And in response to that murmuring about his keeping company with this sinner, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. In another place, Jesus had said, those that are whole don't need the physician, but those that are sick. I didn't come, he said, to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so we see him at the house of a sinner, but we see that when Jesus visits, salvation comes. This day is salvation come to this house because that's his purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission. That's why God sent him into the world. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth is not condemned. Listen to that. Rejoice in that. He that believeth is not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why we rejoice so much in Jesus Christ. Now, as they heard these things, that is, as they heard him making this declaration concerning Zacchaeus, salvation has come to his house because I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He added and spoke this parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now, I mentioned how that as they were going, they thought that this is it. He's going to set up the kingdom right now. This is the final journey up to Jerusalem. You know, this is it. And, and thus, he is giving this parable to correct that mistaken notion. However, it's interesting when we get something so set in our minds that we don't hear anything that's contrary to it. We only hear that which confirms. And somehow we just don't hear that which would be contrary to what we have set in our minds as, as going to happen. But he gave this parable because Jericho is only 20 miles or so from Jerusalem and they're going to make this final journey on up to Jerusalem. 
And so he gave them this parable. He said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Now, there is a bit of historic background here that makes this quite interesting. Zacchaeus no doubt lived in the upper part. He was very rich and so lived in the upper part of Jericho where the palace of Archelaus was. It is perhaps as he came out of the house of Zacchaeus, very rich, it could be that his house was adjacent to the palace of Archelaus, at least within view of it there in Upper Jericho. Archelaus was the tetrarch over this particular area. He had inherited from his father, Herod the Great. Archelaus wanted to be more than a tetrarch. He wanted the title of king. But he just couldn't take the title of king because he was under Rome and the Roman authority. So Archelaus went to Rome to appear before the Senate in order that they might bestow upon him the title of king. However, the Jews sent messages after Archelaus left to the emperor of Rome, asking him not, asking him not to give the title of king to Archelaus. They said, we don't want him to be our king. So when Archelaus got to Rome and made his presentation in order that he might be given the title of king, it was rejected by the Roman Senate. And so it could be that Jesus is picking up. It could be that Archelaus's palace is right there. And so Jesus gives this parable that sort of relates to a bit of history that, that took place with Archelaus who had gone to Rome to get the title of the king. So here is a certain nobleman who went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. This is not to be confused with the parable of the talents that Matthew tells us about, in which it deals with one was given uh, five talents, another four talents, another one talent. Those are dealing with abilities. These, this is just dealing, and notice everyone received the same, the one pound. And this is dealing with diligence with the things that are God's, with that which God has entrusted in your life, using what God has entrusted unto you.
The command is occupy till I come. That is still the order of the Lord for us. Occupy till I come. We're not to try to guess the day and the hour that the Lord is going to return and then plan our lives accordingly. Go out and run up all of our credit cards to the limit, thinking, well, I won't have to pay for this, you know, the Lord is coming soon. But the command is to occupy until he comes. Stay busy about his work. So the citizens, it says, hated him. Now, he is, notice, he's not going to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. He's going to go to a far country that he might receive the kingdom. But the citizens hated him, and they said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Basically, that's the position that the nation of Israel took concerning Jesus Christ. We will not have him to rule over us. But that is the position that the world still takes today. I would say that that's the general position of the United States. We will not have this man to rule over us. Generally speaking, people do not want a righteous ruler. They love. Well, look what they voted for. I didn't say which election, but I think you know. So it came to pass, he went to the far country to receive the kingdom, and it came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he received at that time the kingdom. He was crowned as king in heaven. The father said, sit thou on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so Jesus is there on the right hand of the Father, waiting until the Father makes his enemies his footstool. God has given to him the title of king. When he returns, he will return with the title King of kings and Lord of lords. That's something that he already has received. He hasn't yet received the kingdom. He'll receive that when he returns. He'll then rule over the kingdom. But he is coming back as king to rule over the kingdom that the Father has given unto him. Unlike Archelaus, who never did get the title, Jesus will have that title and he wore upon his thigh the, the words king of kings and lord of lords so having returned he received the kingdom and then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading so a pound, of course, in England is, is a, 
is an amount of money. Of course, it's around, well, it fluctuates between $1.58 and $2 or so. But uh, here they're each one given, and so he calls them. Now, Paul the Apostle speaks about that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ in order that we might receive the rewards for the things that we have done in our bodies. Now, this is not to be confused with the great white throne judgment of God where the sinners are going to appear to receive their sentence. But this is Christians. This is us. When Jesus returns, he will judge the earth in righteousness. We will appear before him to be judged to receive the rewards that we've done according to our works. And so here he, the, the king calls his servants to find out just what they've done with that which was entrusted to them. Then came the first saying, Lord, your pound has gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well, thou good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Now the Lord is apportioning the kingdom unto his servants. And that is speaking of the kingdom age when the Lord returns to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. And the amount of Authority that the Lord gives to you then will be in ratio to what you have done with what God has given you now. You've been faithful. Therefore, I'll make you ruler over 10 cities because of your faithfulness in using that which God has given to you to make gain for the kingdom of God. And the second came and said, Lord, your pound has gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, be thou over five cities. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because you're an austere man. You take up that which you did not lay down. You reaped where you have not sown. And he said unto him, Out of your own mouth I will judge thee, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, taking up that I had not laid down and reaping what I had not sown. Why then did you not give my money unto the bank that at my coming I might have required mine own at least with interest? The man did nothing, didn't even take it to the bank and deposit it so that at least there would be something in return for what had been invested in him. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he has ten pounds. And Jesus said, for I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. What have you done, or what are you doing with what God 
has entrusted into your keeping. One day, you're going to have to give an answer to the Lord as you will be required to stand before him and uh, to give an accounting with, to him of what he has entrusted into your keeping. Are you occupying? Are you using that which God has invested in you for the kingdom of God and for its expansion? You see, that's why when the kingdom of God does come, many people who have been very prominent in the worldly affairs and in worldly things will be heavenly paupers. And many people who have been earthly paupers will be rulers over large territories. It's your faithfulness in using what God has entrusted to you, using it for him and for his glory. And then he said, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. Coming to take vengeance upon the world, coming to judge the world and to set up his kingdom. When he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. From Jericho to Jerusalem, it's all uphill. So he's ascending now. This is the final trek up to Jerusalem. Coming near. We're in the very last week of the life of Jesus. As he leaves Jericho, comes on up to Jerusalem. Time of the Passover. Josephus says that at the time of the Passover, there were some two million people that would gather in Jerusalem above the normal inhabitants of the city. Crowded, overcrowded with pilgrims who had come to celebrate the feast of the Passover. Came to pass when he was come near to Bethany, to Bethany, at the mount that is called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said, go into the village near you there in which when you enter you will find a colt that is tied whereupon yet never a man has sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? You shall say unto him, Because the Lord has need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and they found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come near, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, Bethany is actually on the uh, eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It is facing the Judean wilderness. 
and you come from Bethany over the top of the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley and then back up into the city of Jerusalem. And so as he came over the top of the Mount of Olives, began the descent down the mountain, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen. This was it. There was tremendous excitement and rejoicing among the disciples. For he is making now his entry publicly into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And they no doubt were thinking of the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 where in prophesying the coming of the Messiah, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming unto thee. He is just and having salvation. But he is lowly, riding upon a donkey, upon a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Here he is, riding in the king into Jerusalem, just as was prophesied. And the disciples were certain that this was the crowning hour. Jesus is now going to manifest himself as the Messiah. Jesus is now going to set up the kingdom of God. And they were hilarious with joy and excitement as they were shouting, rejoicing, praising God with loud voices or shouting. And they were saying, Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're beginning to quote from Psalm 118, which is noted as a messianic psalm. Jesus uh, made reference to it as referring to himself. Have you not read the stone which the builders set it not? The same has become the chief cornerstone. Peter also quotes it as a prophecy concerning Christ. And as you look at Psalm 118, this particular portion beginning with verse 22, that begins with the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Shout, for your king is coming. We will rejoice in it. And then save now. Save now is the translation of the Hebrew word Hosanna. The other gospel writers tell us that the people were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
So Hosanna, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Great, or God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. And then it's interesting, it goes right into bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. A strange thing for the prophet to say when he's talking about you know, the king coming, rejoicing and, and all, but bind now the sacrifice with cords unto the altar. So as Jesus is coming, and this is the first time that Jesus allowed any public acclaim of him as the Messiah. When he had fed the 5,000, they were going to try by force to acclaim him as king. And he left them and went into the mountain alone. When he would do marvelous miracles, he would say to them, don't tell anybody. When he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead, he said, now don't tell anybody. When he cleansed the leper, he said, now don't tell anybody. Just go show yourself to the priest. But this day is different. This day, Jesus has set the stage deliberately. This day, he is encouraging the disciples. He's encouraging their worship and their acclamation of him as the king. And as they are shouting for joy, as they are rejoicing and praising God, as they are acclaiming him as king, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Some of the Pharisees that were there among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. The word master there is not in the sense of Lord, but teacher. Rebuke your disciples. In other words, they interpreted that as it really was, that they were acclaiming him as Messiah. They, they realized that's what they were doing, and, and so they said, rebuke them, stop them. Do you hear what they're saying? And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I love that. Somehow I wish that they would have held their peace. <laughs> I'd have loved to have heard the stones crying out. This is my father's world, and to my listening ear, all nature rings and all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. If we could only hear, if we were only in tune. Nature created by him. Innate nature has enough intelligence to acknowledge him as king and lord. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. As he said, if you had only known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things that belong unto your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. 
This is a special day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that God has set for the revelation of the Messiah to the world. Dr. Robert Anderson in his book, The Coming Prince, has laid forth a very interesting thesis in which he seeks to correlate this day with the day that the commandment went forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, March 14th, 445 B.C., and if you are interested, he has done a lot of research. He's made some interesting computations. And it is his thesis that this was exactly 483 years from the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem as king. As the prophet was told, prophet Daniel was told by Gabriel that there are 77s that are determined upon the nation of Israel. And from the time that the commandment goes forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, the prince, will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, or 483 years. And uh, very interesting computations if you're interested in the book, The Coming Prince, Sir Robert Anderson. And so Jesus said, if you had only known at least in this thy day the things which belong unto your peace, but they are hid from your eyes. He's weeping. He's weeping over their blindness. But he's weeping because he can see what the blindness is going to cost. And he begins to tell them, what the blindness is going to cost. The days shall come upon you. Your enemies will cast a trench about you. And they will encircle you. And they will keep you in on every side. The day is coming when your enemies are going to set a siege against the city of Jerusalem. Josephus describes this siege that took place under Titus, the Roman general. He describes the horror of the people within the city of Jerusalem who began to kill each other for food. The horrible starvation. And according to Josephus, in his book, The Wars of the Jews, more Jews were killed by their fellow Jews than by the Roman soldiers. Marauding bands began to go through the city, raiding houses and killing people and taking the goods and the food. Anarchy broke out within the city. And the horrors of it are described by Josephus. Jesus could see this. He could see the siege and the effects of the siege. He could see the starving people, the starving children. And as he could see this, he wept. Because this he knew 
was to be the price that they would have to pay for rejecting the Messiah. They will lay you even with the ground, Jesus said. That is, the city's going to be leveled. Your children within you. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. As he was making reference to the beautiful temple that Herod had built. Because, and this is the thing, you didn't know the day of your visitation. How much it cost them. God visited. He kept his promise. He sent the Messiah but because they did not know, they are going to pay a bitter, bitter price. God expected them to know. God had given sufficient prophecies that they should have known. There was really no excuse for their blindness or for their ignorance even as there is no excuse for you if you reject Jesus as the Messiah. And even as the desolation came to them because of their rejection, so desolation will come to every man who rejects Jesus as his Messiah, as his Lord, as his Savior. As the book of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation as been offered to us through Jesus Christ? The book of Hebrews also says, For he that despised Moses' law was put to death if there were two or three witnesses against him to testify that he had spoken evil of the law of Moses. But of how much worse punishment do you suppose the person will be accounted worthy of who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of his covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite to the Spirit of grace? For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. This was their day, their day of God's visitation, their day when God was offering to them salvation. He was offering to them his promised Messiah. They rejected the Messiah to their own damage and hurt. There is that day when God comes to you and God gives you the opportunity of eternal life. Opportunity to share in the kingdom of God. To become a citizen of God's kingdom. And if you reject, I'm certain that Jesus sheds a tear over you because he can see what's going to happen to all of those who have rejected him as their Lord. 
certain fearful looking forward to the fiery indignation of the wrath of God whereby he will devour his adversaries. A fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And so he went into the temple and he began to cast them out that were selling therein. And them that were buying and he said unto them it is written my house is the house of prayer Isaiah 56 7 he's quoting there where the Lord said my house shall be called the house of prayer for all people but then he quotes from Jeremiah he said but you have made it a den of thieves merchandising the things of God, seeking to profit over the things of God, making merchandise what should be the house of prayer. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. The people were listening to him gladly, gathering to hear him. But the plot to put him to death has already been hatched and they are now just looking for opportunity. And they could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And so they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to get rid of him. They were just looking for the way by which they might do it. They had determined it had to be done. And so we move into the final hours now in the life of Christ as we continue on in Luke chapter 20 as we continue our journey through the scriptures. It's important to realize that we are entering in to the last few days of Jesus before his crucifixion. Last Sunday in our study of the 19th chapter, we were at the Sunday before his crucifixion. Whether or not he was crucified Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is really of no real import. It's just something for uh, theologians to figure out. But this is the Sunday before his crucifixion. And so we dealt with that triumphant entry and then it is thought that the cleansing of the temple actually took place on Monday. On Sunday he came into the city riding on a donkey fulfilling the prophecies was rejected by the people. So he returned to the temple on Monday and he drove out those who were selling merchandising within the temple precincts. 
We've mentioned before how that at those at those days in those days and at that time they had little marketplaces within the temple precincts. When you offered a sacrifice to God, it was required by the law that the sacrifice be without spot or without a blemish. You weren't to offer to God something that was really not worthwhile or roadkill, you might say. He wasn't interested in that. And knowing people's nature to be as it is, God forbid them to offer something that had broken legs or, you know, uh, defaced uh, figure, uh, you know, faces or whatever. And so God... Uh, said that your offering should be without spot, without blemish, a perfect sacrifice. You should give to God the best. Now, if you would bring a lamb out of your flock, maybe the best lamb that you have, the priest would be there to examine your sacrifice. And they could always find some little blemish and they usually would if you brought out of your own flock. And they would begin to yell at you and tell you that you could not offer that as a sacrifice unto God. Well, your desire is to offer a sacrifice to God, and so they would point you to the little shambles over here where they sell certified lambs. <laughs> Kosher. They've been examined by the rabbis and by the priest, and uh, so these are accepted, but the only problem, they were sold at exorbitant prices. So they were gouging the people. The same was true in, in giving your offering unto the Lord. The Roman currency was the common currency of the land. They would not accept Roman currency in the temple treasury. They had what they called the temple shekel. And that is the only money that they would receive into the temple coffers was the temple shekel. And so you would have to change your Roman currency for the temple shekels in order to give an offering unto the Lord. But again, they were charging exorbitant exchange rates rather than just an even across exchange. They were charging 10 to 20% to change your money from the Roman currency, and thus they were raking off. They were sort of skimming, and uh, they were making a profit off of people's desire to worship God. They were actually putting roadblocks in the way. As Jesus one time rebuked the Pharisees, he said, you don't enter in, but you forbid those who are trying to enter in. You hinder those who are wanting to enter in. And thus, by their merchandising, it angered the Lord. Now, when he began his ministry, back in the beginning, he came to the temple, John tells us in his gospel, early on in his ministry, and one of the first actions of Jesus' public ministry was that of cleansing the temple. This is the second time he drove out the money changers and 
He uh, stopped them from selling the sacrifices there in the temple precincts. Rebuking them, he said that the scripture was written, my father's house shall be known as a house of prayer for all people, but you have made it a den of thieves, and that they had done. So having driven out once more those that were selling and buying in the temple precincts, he continued teaching daily in the temple. This was a real consternation to the religious leaders. They had determined that Jesus must be put to death. They had meetings in which they were discussing just how they might arrest Jesus and, and, and kill him without creating a real stir among the crowds because the people were listening to Jesus more and more. Now, during the times of the feast, hundreds of thousands of Jews would come to the temple, to Jerusalem, from all over the world. Josephus, the early historian, said that as many as two million people would come into Jerusalem for these feasts. And so, of course, coming many of them from all parts of the Roman Empire, they would arrive early. And so there would be a buildup to the feast as the people would come. It was necessary for those who had been living among the Gentiles to go through a, a purification rite. It took several days in order for them to uh, be purified so that they could participate in the feast. And so there were many of them already gathered and they would listen to Jesus and they were interested in the things that Jesus had to say and he was becoming very popular. And so they determined that they have got to do something to get rid of him or else the Roman government will come in and they will lose their position, their power base, uh, their ability to merchandise off the people because uh, I failed to mention these marketplaces were actually owned or franchised by the high priest and his family. And thus it was the priesthood that was getting wealthy off of fleecing the people of God who had come to worship. So Sunday, his triumphant entry, Monday, his cleansing of the temple. And it is suggested that perhaps it was Tuesday as Jesus was teaching in the temple. Up comes this religious body, the religious leaders, the chief priest, the, the uh, scribes, those who interpreted the law, and the elders of the people, the council. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the last days of Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, 
Simply order Luke 19 through 20 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. We thank you for your faithfulness in the keeping of your word. What you have said, that you have done. What you have said, that will you do. We realize, Lord, that you're a faithful God who keeps covenant. And Lord, we see the evidence of that throughout history. May we be wise. And may we bow our knee and kiss the scepter of Jesus Christ and acknowledge and acclaim him as our Lord and as our King. May we humbly bow before him, receiving from him those capacities, being entrusted with his goods. May we go forth, Lord, that we might use that which you have given to us and multiply it so that when you come as king to receive the kingdom and to set up the kingdom, that we will be able to lay at your feet that, Lord, which we have been able to gain through what was invested in us. Use us, Lord, to do your work and to bring you glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. It is by faith that you've been walking into one level of spiritual maturity to another. Faith is the key to a successful Christian life. That is why the Word of God tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It was faith that led Abraham into the land of promise. It was faith that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. It was faith that enabled Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. 
The question is, what might faith do in you? To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Faith, or to preview a chapter for free online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.